streaming live on YouTube. And then we're going to be, okay, we are live on Instagram now. Instagram, my old friend. Yeah. So I, I'm, I've always been kind of curious about your, like, Instagram breaks. Yeah. Um, was, like, the, just, like, to detox from the social medias a little bit, or... Yeah, I, I, you've taken some breaks too, I think, right? I have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's just a thing where you just, I, I think everybody to a greater or lesser degree just gets tired of their phone. That's that's fair, yeah. You, you know what I mean? And if you're as old as I am, you know, you, you tend to sort of reminisce about the days of no phones. Um. And I, it's just nice to kind of take those breaks because you, you tend to sort of, you know, um, find yourself on your phone maybe more often than you would like. And it's so great to explore and discover with Instagram. And of course, I've met amazing photographers through Instagram and with film photographic, uh, you know, we've been able to, to connect with a lot of people and, and, and connect people, uh, in the film community and all of it. there's a lot of positive but i just i just get tired of the phone and all the apps and you know all, all that so i you know once a year whenever it's been i like to just kind of take breaks from from having instagram on my phone and all that stuff that's totally fair i can feel that yeah. like, I, i've taken a, a few breaks uh for sure here and there where i just needed some time to like detox from Sure. And all of that. Yeah. Um, I was hoping that it would come before um, we we caught up, and it did. I just got your uh, your new book in the mail. Oh now. wow! So it just Thank showed you. up yesterday. I was getting a little bit worried because like packages get stolen in my neighborhood all the time. So yeah. I was like a little tiny bit worried that like it might have gotten. Um, gotten poached there but uh dude is beautiful yeah it's been tricky with the london and and a lot of the shipments you know uh, the stanley barker shipping books from london they're, they're, you know and they had that recent lockdown and it's yeah it's been a bit tricky but um yeah it's good it's good that you, you got it wow a day a day ago huh yeah, like I, uh, it, it just got here yesterday, and um, I'm still waiting for Raymond's book. Though I was hoping that that would have got in, um, you know, beforehand. I'm really excited. Wow, to you check didn't get. Out. Wow, that would have shipped a, a while ago. Yeah, I have to look into that. Mail's been kind of messy. I, I looked at the tracking, and it's in Canada now. So oh, it is. It should hopefully get here at any time. But yeah, dude, this is. Uh, this has been beautiful. But one question I wanted to ask you about this specifically, because you've been getting pretty big into the, the bookmaking, is um, what was the experience of making in the Gold Dust Rush versus a, a plain view like? Because, mm. um, you know, I, I, I know I mean, that you're very hands-on It's hands all difficult. One. I mean, that's... Sorry, what sorry, did you say? I, I, I remember you were very hands-on with, uh, with a plain view and uh... yeah yeah same thing here but you know the the publisher is uh, stanley barker's in london and uh the book was printed in verona italy so oh, uh a lot of their books are are printed at ebs which is a really amazing uh uh printer in in verona 
they do a lot of uh, photo books. So it was tricky with a plain view. I was on press, um, but what helps is I make match prints, right? So and then I send I sent uh, the match prints to uh, Stanley Barker, and then um, and then they send sent the match prints to EBS in Verona. So the press operators, as they're printing the sheets for the book, they're able to use my match prints as reference. Okay. So, um, and then Flow Photographic in London, they did all the duotone separations. Um, and uh, Alex at Flow Photographic is really, really knowledgeable. And he does a lot of, of uh, separations with uh, black and white photos. And so I certainly knew that I was in really good hands with these guys because Stanley Barker, they make amazing books and EBS and Flow Photographic. But still, you're always a little bit nervous because you're not there on press and I'm kind of picky. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I, it turned out, it turned out great, but yeah, it's always, uh, it's always a little bit, uh, uh, more comfortable when you can be on press and see the act, like with a plain view, I was there and, um, I saw the sheets coming off the, the press and I, I was there with the press operator with my match prints. And I mean, color is really tricky. Uh, there's a lot more to sort of you know, there's a lot more going on. And so it, with a plain view, it was nice to be on press. But uh, the new the new book, I, I think, turned out okay. I think everybody did a good job. and, and uh, But it's always a little bit nerve-wracking because once it's done, it's done. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's pretty stressful. It, it, it turned out beautifully. Like, I've really been enjoying uh, digging into it. And, uh, you know, it's... It's cool seeing black and white versus color from the, the plain view book. Um, mm -hmm. It definitely has a different feel to it. And I still have a couple rolls of that Scala that you recommended that I need to yeah. send down to uh, to DR5 to get processed. <laughs> yeah, the old Scala or the new stuff? It was some new stuff from uh, Freestyle. Okay. Yeah, I haven't tried the new Scala. I think it's 160... ISO the 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 Scala that I've used over the years is the original Scala, um, but of course they don't they don't make that anymore. I haven't tried the new stuff, but Dave at DR5 said uh, said it's good. Nice. And so, I think they only make the new stuff in 35 millimeter. The old stuff was also 120. That's wild. So you have collected like a stash of like uh, of old Scala then that you've been working through. Yeah, when I was doing the Oklahoma photos in 2018, uh, all the black and white stuff was Scala that I had. And for the most part, it looked okay, you know. I mean, it's 120 Scala, uh, fresh Scala processed by DR5 is absolutely stunning. For the most part, everything looked good, but I think there were a few rolls in there, here and there, that were a, a little bit poorly stored maybe, and they, they didn't quite have that scallop punch but okay. i i got pretty lucky because some of the boxes that i brought to oklahoma with me were you know 10 years expired oh shit you have to kind of be careful with expired film if you know especially if it's not poured uh stored uh, if it's stored poorly you know you have to be careful yeah i i've been playing with um some old agricom rs 1000 that um I think the oldest roll that I shot expired in like 1990 and then it's a mixture of wow. like 1990 to like 1995 
and uh, that's pretty old yeah it's come out beautifully though nice like it's um i need to get it i need to try getting a processed e6 because so far i've done it all cross-processed but it's come out mm. really nice with with the cross-processing so. cross-processing <laughs> yeah here we say cross-processing cross pro yeah <laughs> Yeah. You That's say it right. the you say it the proper way. <laughs> That's true. So I was curious about the Oklahoma um project. So it's like I, I got a chance to see the uh the exhibition that you had there at the Philbrook, which was beautiful. Um Thank you. Thanks for thanks again for, for making it all the way down. Oh of course, man. Like I didn't want to miss that one. It was uh it was really cool to just see that and the Larry Clark exhibit um next door to you there was fantastic too. Like that beautiful prints, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, those were uh I th I think a original uh darkroom prints from the 70s, I believe. The oh, holy shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Really beautiful prints those Larry Clark prints. Well, I remember that was like it was the first time he's ever been um, exhibited in Oklahoma, too. I think in Tulsa, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think that was the first time the 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 Tulsa prints had been on display. Oh, you, you've yeah. got someone in the comments here that says, uh, "Come do a show in Toronto." <laughs> I love Toronto a lot. Um, I'd love to. I love Canada. Yeah, it would be uh, it would be fantastic to have you come up and visit sometime. Oh, we got a question from uh, the chat here. Um, Aaron Lance Lopez asks you, uh, how many yeah. stops do you compensate for expired Scala? That's a really good question. Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little, a little bit of, uh, extra exposure. Certainly. Yeah. A little bit. So Scala is what, uh, 200 ISO. So I think I would shoot that at 100. And then Dave would process it at 100. Okay. Yeah, a little, a little extra breathing room. Yeah. I think Aaron's got some old Scala. Maybe Aaron's that's why. Aaron's a friend of mine from Denton, Texas. Oh, nice. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then uh, Barb, who is uh, with us in Boston there, she says you should come to Saskatchewan too. <laughs> okay. I'll do a whole trip across um, Canada. And then uh, DS Manning, who was also in Boston with us, yep. um, asks you uh, if you're still shooting any Polaroid, and uh, if you have any thoughts on one instant and the future of Peel Apart. If I have any thoughts on what? Uh, one instant and the future of Peel Apart. I don't know what one instant is. Uh, so one instant is um, the new film that Doc Caps, uh, who started Impossible. It's um, one. It's one peel apart sheet at a time right correct yeah i think i saw versus a pack yeah yeah i th I, th I think i saw that um uh i i have a lot of leftover polaroid film four by five and some pack film and some eight by ten polaroid film still uh i'm a little intimidated to use it because i don't want to know uh just how many sheets are not usable <laughs> Um, yeah. but you know, cause the black and white stuff crystallizes the, the chemicals crystallize. It gets really crunchy and turns into basically like hard powder. Yeah. The color stuff holds much longer, but it gets kind of streaky. Um, but you know, I still have the uh, plan to, um, finish up all the eight by 10 Polaroid film that I have and try to put together a book where basically 
the first half of the book is um, all the original 8x10 Polaroid uh, photos from when I first started road tripping and using that film back in 2006. And the second half of the book being uh, all the expired stuff. Um, and kind of just seeing those differences between the fresh stuff, you know, 13 years ago or whatever, and then the, the, the expired stuff uh, currently. That is super interesting. Against against each other and get through that film. I I I don't think there's going to be any black and white. Maybe I can salvage a, a few, but there's I've got a maybe three or four boxes of the 809, which is the color, okay. ten Polaroid. But it's just insane how much people are selling that stuff for on eBay. Yeah, I think I've seen the 809 on eBay uh, sell for as much as thirteen hundred bucks. It, it's Bro. wild, especially because you can buy fresh stuff from Polaroid now for way less than that. And but the the eight by ten stuff? Yeah, they they make new eight by ten. They're out of color right now. I think they might wait, still wait, have Polaroid. The company Polaroid is making again eight by ten Polaroid film. Yes, sir. What? I haven't heard anything about this. Yeah, yeah. They they do production runs every year of it, color and black and white. Um, they sold out of color um, last year, and they still were going through a bit of the black and white, and then there's going to be another production run planned um, sometime this year where they're going to do... Not the impossible it. stuff, but the original Polaroid formula. Well, it's the impossible stuff. So it's not, it's it's the, not the peel part, because yeah. impossible is Polaroid now. Oh, I see. <clears throat> it, it is peel apart, but the impossible stuff that I've seen, the 8x10... It's peel apart, but the image is reversed. Yeah, and it's so got that mylar coating. That, right? That's that's what they're still producing now is mm. the the reversed oh. image stuff. So, yeah, the original stuff is just incredible. Yeah, I, yeah. I I wish I would have. I had no idea back in '06 when I was buying a lot of it and using it that they would ever stop making it. You never, you can't. I I never would have known that they would stop. So I. I, I shot it 2006, 2007 on road trips. And then I started shooting 35 millimeter black and white mostly out on the road. And so my eight by 10 Polaroid film just kind of sat there, mm. just went dry. Um, so I've got to get, get to it sooner than later and try to finish that project. You had another that that sounds like a hell of a project though like that i'd be curious to see how that book turns out honestly i mean look i i a couple of years ago maybe it was 2017 i took the the i took a few boxes of it out on the road and i went when i was living in texas and i did some texas i went into arkansas i was maybe gone for about five days and i had a clothesline in the, in the camper of my truck and and I was out just kind of documenting as I do. And I was trying to, uh, you know, and I only, I had only brought the eight by 10 stuff with me. And sadly it was really hard to get some of it to work. Uh, um, I think I probably got maybe five exposures that I would use, um, out of three or four boxes. Oh shit. You know, it's not terrible because there's only 15 sheets per box, but it was a little bit disheartening because you, you start to peel it 
and you go, oh, it's working, it's working, the chemicals spread across the whole print, that, and then you get a big, wet, just a big wash of no image, and you go, oh. but you really like what you're photographing, and you go, well, maybe I'll try one more, but I only have this much left. So I think the second half of the book will really be about the, the sort of torment, I think, <laughs> of trying to find some good exposures with this old, old film that sort of will become sort of a part of the, the story using a film that was so readily available that you could buy. I used to buy it at Sammy's in LA that you could buy like anything else at a camera store. It wasn't, it, it wasn't limited. It wasn't sacred. They, they sold it as much as they sold any other film. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's the it's... idea of like just going through, I mean, back in the day, people would just burn through Polaroid film. And then now it's like you're just you're coveting every last sheet you have, you know. So the beginning being like just going through it until you get the image and not thinking in terms of this film might be discontinued and trying to finish up my surplus of, of, of those films and having to be really careful in, 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 in doing so. So it's it's a totally it's a total contrast between how it was versus how it's how it, how it is now, and how it's going to be when I try to, to to finish that film. Yeah, I can understand that. Like with pack film, I have like a small little stash of like the Fuji FP one hundred left and a bit of Polaroid, yeah. and um, it's just it's sitting it's been sitting in my fridge for like two almost three years now. I haven't touched it yet because it's just like I'm afraid it's not going to work but then once I use it it's going to be all gone <laughs> and so it's just what to do with it yeah but, I don't, yeah, it's tricky man It's the whole thing is just a big bummer <laughs> it, it kind of is like I really wish they would bring it back but we got another question here uh, Jeffrey yeah. Philman um, is asking if you have any recommendations for photographers looking to print their first photo book don't do it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I've actually seen some really well-made, beautiful books done by Blurb. And I, I think I even heard something about Robert Adams, the photographer, talking about Blurb. Like, any way you can make your book, do it. Use Blurb, whatever. Any way you can make a book, do it. And I, gotta, I try to buy books and stuff that I see on Instagram and zines and stuff. I get really excited about what people are doing, and I try to support and buy stuff and add, you know, stuff that I see to the, to the photo book collection. And I bought some stuff from photographers through Instagram, uh, that um, books that were published by Blurb, and they were really incredible, like really nice high quality matte papers, really nice varnish, good binding. And uh, I thought, wow, that's, that's incredible. This book looks amazing. Where you, and you literally get to the end and it's got the blurb logo on the back. And I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's, this is like a really good photo book. And it was done by like a printing service. Um, I mean, I, yeah, whatever, I think whatever it takes, making books at home, making zines, using printing services like blurb. Maybe there's others out there like Blur, but I mean, I, I, I think that's uh, that's definitely a, a way to do it for sure. Yeah, a lot of the, my favorite stuff that I have are uh, zines that I've gotten, you know, I'm homemade zines and people getting creative with homemade books, you know, hand stitching and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question in terms of 
uh, how, how to make a photo book. But yeah, I mean, start with a zine if you haven't already. And I definitely second the blurb thing like that, that book that I sent you a copy of there, um, that was all done in blurb and, um, I was really happy with it. Um, like I did have a friend help me do all the design in, um, Adobe. Um, but Mm -hmm. they did all the printing and I did two copies of it. And this was like maybe an interesting thing. If if you have book question or the, the person had the book question, um, I did a landscape version and a portrait version. Um, only because my friend that's the designer, he wanted it to be landscape, but I wanted it to be portrait because the portrait book is cheaper to make. Um, really? Yeah. So like with portrait, you can do, um, a version called a trade book that uses like the, just a trade. It's like a 10 weight lower paper than the landscape book. Um, and it's significantly cheaper, like almost half the price to do wow. the trade book than it is to do the landscape one. But he did a landscape design initially, and I was like, this is beautiful, but can you make it portrait? Because that's what I want to print it in. And he got like so heartbroken that I was like, all right, I'll tell you what, like, I'll do a run of 90 books, 60 of them will be the portrait, and 60, or 30 of them will be landscape. And um, it surprised me. I didn't think people would buy the landscape one because it was more expensive. I sold out of the landscape one before I did the portrait one. Wow. But me personally, I liked the portrait one more um, Mm. because the landscape was supposed to be matte paper, but it was Mm. almost a little glossy. And um, I didn't really like how the photos looked on that sort of like glossy look um, because they just... something didn't look right about them on there. Whereas like on the trade paper, it was like more of a matte and the the photos looked more like inside of the paper than they did on um, the other one. Mm -hmm. So I personally liked the trade book a lot more, but um, a lot of people like the landscape. So it's interesting. Like the biggest thing too, if you're going to try blurb, um, spend the money to get one copy done first, even though you're going to spend more uh, on shipping to get that one copy before you commit to doing a big run of it, just get that one copy because I thought, I I thought I'd be happy with like the first iteration I did of it. And I was like going to commit to the, the whole run, but then I was like, let's just do one. And I hated it. And so like from what I hated from that first copy, we made a bunch of changes so that we could do the, the, Final oh, so you can do that. You can make changes and then, <clears throat> so you, you can hold them off basically, right? Yeah. So like I had them do one copy for me and, and then they wait, they, and then they wait basically to get your notes or whatever. Yeah. So like once you get that one copy back, you can just start another project up and make all those changes that you want in that new project and then submit that project to, to have the run done. Um, so they, they were fantastic. Um, like the next book I do, I'll probably end up um, doing on blurb too. Wow. Um, yeah, I think it'll be an expansion of like the first one that, that you have there, yep. but mm-hmm. I'm going to do it with, um, the pack film I have remaining and wow. some, uh, Fuji superior 1600 that I've been, I love that recording. film. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. I have five rolls of it left that I've kind of been like saving for a special thing. Um, so yeah, I think that'll be kind of fun. Um, Black Collar Film says they have two boxes of Type 52 4x5 that 
he's terrified to find out if it's unusable. <laughs> oh, I know the feeling. It's awful. I mean, the coveted film is Type 55, the positive-negative 4x5 Polaroid film. I think I probably have about 10 boxes of that. Oh, damn. And I would say probably 5% of it is usable. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, pretty depressing. Um, Equidem asks if you know anything about Kodak Instant Film. They have a bunch of expired stuff, and they're not sure if it's worth shooting or not. Kodak Instant Film? Yeah, I don't know if you remember that Kodak made a really great way of getting sued by Polaroid in, like, the 80s. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) I think I heard something about that. Yeah. Hmm. But the you know the packet the the ready load stuff I wonder does that have anything to do with the Polaroid thing because the polar the four by five Polaroid film the packets are basically the same thing as the Kodak ready load four by five conventional film packets the that's Kodak. what I use with a with a plain view um, and you can use their ready load holder or you can use a Polaroid uh, a Polaroid four by five. Uh, holder for the ready load yeah i think the kodak stuff she's asking about was like cartridge stuff almost like polaroid was um oh oh like the uh integral integral film yeah yeah. mylar stuff yeah oh okay i thought you were talking about a a a peel apart thing no Um, no I, i never i never tried that and Brian says he's sad that he'll probably never get to shoot the original Polaroid 8x10 film. He bought some last year and it didn't work out. But he's been happy with the new stuff. A theory the of a Brian. Stuff. Yeah, the impossible stuff. I mean, it's certainly better than nothing, isn't it? Absolutely. That Well, see, that's the way that I look at one instant as well, too. Like, it's not ideal and it's not real pack film, but it's better than nothing. And I can still use my yeah. pack film cameras with something. So that's kind of a nice bonus. And the idea that people understand the value of that and how much people love it and they're trying to keep it alive. I mean, I think that's that's really great, you know? Absolutely. Um, Aaron asks, geographically, where do you see yourself shooting next? Aaron Lopez? Yeah. Aaron Lopez. Um, uh, I just... Uh, the usual, all, just kind of all over, I guess. Um, I did a, the, I went to Galveston, Texas in November and shot some photos there for a project. Uh, that was really interesting. Um, the next project, I think, will take me just kind of all over randomly, as I like to, to do. Um, I mean, I'm usually like middle of America to the West for the most part. Um, the West Coast and uh, Utah and Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado. Uh, but I, at one point, I'd like to get down to the South more, you know, um, and document that a little bit more. I haven't, I mean, I did some, I used to carry the land camera around with me a lot, and I was in Georgia and I shot a bunch of uh, 3000B pack film in Georgia. I loved it. But I've never really explored Alabama, Mississippi, and that region with the camera as much. Um, I haven't really gone past east of Texas 
as much as I'd like. So maybe, maybe I'll get out there, but there's a project I have in mind that'll kind of take me around and that might be a good opportunity to use that project to go uh, into the South. And I haven't really done the Midwest. I see a lot of amazing stuff always coming out of the Midwest. The Midwest was cool. Like when I went down to Tulsa, you went there, yeah. Yeah, we we drove down through through parts of it, and um, it left me really wanting to go back and spend more time taking like the old Route 66 and some of those back roads and exploring yeah. stuff. Because like it, uh, if you do end up out there, you really should check out Catoosa, Oklahoma. Though the the blue whale of Catoosa is uh, quite a thing to behold. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> well, and. So the thing that's more impressive than the blue whale of Catoosa is Blaine, the guy that is the caretaker of the blue whale of Catoosa. He's like, I think probably 70, 80 some years old. And um, it's been in his family for ages. But the stories that the guy had were just phenomenal. Like, it kind of made me think a really cool project would be to like road trip in those rural areas through the Midwest and collect stories from these people and portraits and do like a book of like portraits and their stories um because these people have some fantastic stories and i was surprised at how friendly so many people were in all these small towns and stuff usually very friendly yeah yeah like i was a little nervous about that like not being a, a white person going into um you know rural areas can sometimes be a little sketchy and um I found it super welcoming for the most part and a very positive yeah, experience. That's great. I, 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 I did get run out of a, a small town in Oklahoma when I was there. It was really? Scary. Yeah. I was just roaming the neighborhoods as I do when I you know, roll into a town and I've never been there before. I usually turn left or right and start going down the first street I see once you arrive in, into wherever you are. And just kind of roam the neighborhoods and just kind of see what's going on. And I'm in this town in Oklahoma, population 50 people. And I see this uh, photo that I want to shoot. And, I, and I'm in my 94 town car. Um, and uh, just kind of really just creeping along really slowly. And I'm shooting photos out the window, structures and things. And, and this guy spots me and he turns and looks at me and gives me this the evil eye and i i said i, I i'm just taking pictures <laughs> I, I i i don't work for the government or anything i'm just taking pictures just an outsider admiring your little town just taking pictures and he that wasn't enough for him and so i just keep driving and then i cross the main road and then i go over to the other side the neighborhood over there and i'm going through there and I look in my rearview mirror, and there's this giant, uh, looming, intimidating red big tow truck. And I see that it's the guy, and he's driving it, and he's following me around. Oh wow! Uh, in the tow truck, <laughs> I pull over, and you know, like I take my camera out again, and and then he gets out of the tow truck, and he starts walking towards the car. And that's when I thought, well, I've had enough of this, and I just drive away, and, and he followed me. And right as I was leaving town, he turned off right before, like, the edge of town. 
almost like he never left he never leaves the the edge you know like <laughs> he knew that i was gone and then he turned off and disappeared down down the street but he was uh he was definitely kind of intimidating and i could only imagine the size of the pistol that he probably had on the, the bench seat of his old tow truck so i i i, I thought the uh, three exposures that i got in that little town were probably enough and so i, I hit the road well, I'm I'm glad that uh, it worked out in the end. Um, Jason Moore has a question for you. Um, have you ever considered just sticking to one camera, one lens, one film type in Gary Winogrand, Henry Wessel, etc. fashion? Mm, uh, I mean, I have lenses that I like if I'm shooting 35. At least, like focal length you know what i mean but i like square format too you know what i mean and i like six seven and where it's a little bit taller um i mean i've thought about it but i like you know for example in the new book i like that there's 35 six seven and six six and the way i laid the book out and sized everything all the images have the same height right and i like that there's a square for example one spread might have a square image on the left and a 35 millimeter image on the right and the way i've sized everything in that book is i made sure that the heights were the same so you have a square and then you have the 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 rectangle the 35 millimeter rectangle and when i was laying out this book i found that i liked pairing a square with a rectangle um, but keeping them again uh, all linear top and bottom um, and I felt that that added a little bit of a kind of um, peaks and valleys maybe or just changes throughout but again keeping the sizes all the, the the heights all the same so that there's nothing that pops you don't turn the page and then suddenly there's a bigger photo or a smaller I kept everything kind of with contained but I liked that and that's something I hadn't really done before um, and so I, I don't know, I, I sometimes feel like I just want to do square stuff and, uh, sometimes, uh, 35, I, I, I don't know. I just kind of like to, to, to bounce around, but I know that I like certain focal lengths and it's usually on the, on the wider side, 28 millimeter with uh, 35. And so I'll shoot a 65 millimeter with the six, seven camera and then a, a 65 millimeter with the the 6.6 camera so a little bit on the wider side so in terms of focal length there's some consistency there but i do like the different formats nice um brian brooks has a comment and a question he says super stoked uh, stereo is coming back and seeing the photo archives popping up are there any plans for a stereo book there are plans for a stereo book um Stereo hit its 25th anniversary in 2017, so uh, I'm going to guess on its, what is it, uh, so it's good. It's going on now, it's 20, oh jeez, it's 29th anniversary, wow, that's crazy, um, probably it's 35th anniversary or something, we'll do a book. <laughs> But yeah, we've definitely talked about doing a kind of documentary telling the story of stereo and then and, and with uh, some kind of, you know, thick kind of coffee table book with all the graphics and 
photos and stuff. That's definitely been a dream of ours. But I think that's it's such an, an intimidating undertaking doing something like that. I think we've just been kind of putting it off. But absolutely, we'd love to do a kind of history of stereo book. Thanks for the encouragement. Um, Got to make that happen. Barb and Aaron have comments on the throwaway saying it'd be really interesting to see the throwaway shots. And Aaron says throwaway shots could be a book called Torment. Ooh, I like that. You hear my kids running around in the background. Yeah. Um, that's a good idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna on the Polaroid stuff. You mean? Yes, on the Polaroid stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's. I mean, I'm a little bit OCD, and so like when I went to Texas, when I was in Texas, and I went to Louisiana, and I had some of the expired eight by 10 film with me, I was really, it was kind of frustrating because I'd see a photo that I really wanted to get. And again, if I wouldn't get the full spread, the full chemical spread, the full exposure. And there was the part of me that was like, oh, I'll just do one more. Oh, maybe just do one more. And I had to kind of just go, no, it's not worth it. Just walk away. And so the idea again with this, the second half of the book or the second half, the continuation of the large format Polaroid films there will be in the book half spreads, you know, uh, lots of imperfections. And I think it's going to be a little bit maybe therapeutic for me to do that because I'm just going to have to give in to the process of using shitty old, you know, expired uh, large format Polaroid film, films that aren't, that aren't going to give me what I'm looking for. And I just have to sort of give in to that and just and display it as it as it comes out. It could be very so you'll cathartic. see again in the first half of the book. You have these beautiful, perfect, you know, uh, prints from the, the the fresh film, and you're going to see a much different kind of uh, a much different Polaroid picture, you know, in in, in the second half of the book. That, that so the throwaways up... are going to be used, you know. I think. Yeah, that that could end up being a very cathartic process there. Um, Eric also gives his backing for blurb. He says he's used it a few times and, uh, Alan has a question for you. He's planning stages of documenting highway 82 from Brunswick, uh, GA to Almagordo NM 28 hour per 28 hours per Google maps. How much time should he put aside to drive and document? Do you figure? Um, how, one second, my kids are going nuts. No problem. Dad life. <laughs> hey guys. I will make sure to try and get to everyone's questions here. I'm just kind of like scrolling through as uh, as we're working through them. So um, I'm not ignoring everybody. I appreciate all you guys being on here with us. We have five kids, so thank you for uh, for bearing with me here. No problem at all. I appreciate you taking the time because I know you're a very busy dude. So you know. no, no, it's I couldn't wait to see you again. It's been so it's so weird that we see people these days. I know we live really far apart, but just we see people on the phones and on Zoom these days. It's so strange. It, it is very strange because, like, I mean, shit. Before COVID happened, like I was planning on 
heading down to Los Angeles to visit a bunch of friends and uh, and the world kind of just stopped. It's been crazy. Yeah, it has been. Like, you know, I, I was bummed out not to be able to make it down for uh, for Policon and uh, mm. the experience of being in San Francisco for Policon Bay Area when COVID was happening was was really crazy too. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's been a crazy time, man. A lot of homeschooling, a lot of just being stuck at home, but the, working on the books and stuff this year was that definitely helped being at home. So I was bouncing between ma- making the proof prints for the new book and doing all of that and then taking breaks to like go do math with, with my kids and stuff. You know, I mean, it's it's been, it sucks, but it's also been kind of an interesting experiment. You know what I mean? Like as a dad, you know, we, our kids go to school and they're being taught by teachers and, and we kind of, un, unless we're doing bits and pieces of homework with them, you know what I mean? When you, you realize how much they live a separate life at school and we kind of do our things as adults with our jobs or whatever we do. So as much as it has sucked to be kind of stuck inside, it's really been an interesting experience, you know, like being a part of like my kids' education more intimately, you know what I mean? And watching them grow, like my boy, Sonny, who's eight, like struggling with math and getting to help him with that. And now he's really good with math and like, you know, it just, it's been an interesting time of reflection and realizing what's important and what we take for granted and just having this family time. It's, it's so much more close knit and connected because everybody's just doing everything kind of together, literally in the same house all the time. There's no waking up and sending the kids to school and they're gone for eight hours. Schooling is happening in one room and I'm in the other room working on my stuff and I don't know. It's been kind of, there's been positives in the weirdness of the whole pandemic lockdown thing, you know? So that's, that, that's been really cool. And they've, they've gotten to see what I'm doing during the day, making photo books and coming into my office and asking questions and what's this and what's that. And I don't know, it's been a a lot more sharing, I think, you know, and I, I was thinking about, I wonder if other people have had that same experience or not maybe maybe there's people that have just gone fucking crazy because <laughs> they have as many kids as I do in their houses of a madhouse all the time yeah it's it's an interesting thing you bring up because i think like in in some ways you could look at 2020 as truly fucking awful mm-hmm. and and it has been in a lot of ways but for myself personally and a lot of other people I've talked to people have found a lot of positive things that came out of last year that would have never happened had we not been trapped in our homes and had our lives restricted down and like, you know, had things we took for granted taken away from us. Um, so in a weird way, I think as much as COVID's taken away so much from us, it's also given us a lot of things too reflect on i think ultimately absolutely yeah Yeah. i think uh, yeah i think everybody's frustrated for sure but i think there's also been a lot of of people reflecting and and understanding what we have you know what i mean there was a lot of loss in 2020 
it was tough. There, there definitely and was a lot of luck. Step back and and you know just really appreciate what we have for sure. Weird, 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 weird year, but a lot of positives for sure. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent on that. Uh, Tim on film asks, "How often are you trespassing when you take a picture, and are you for it or against it?" Uh, what kind of trespassing? Like, like trespassing onto property, I suppose. I don't know that I really do. I mean, I'm usually on the side of the road, or uh, uh, or if it's you know, or shooting from a field of some kind, or in a parking lot of you know, an empty, desolate shopping mall, or I, 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 trespassing, meaning like hopping fences and going onto people's property. I, I don't, I don't know exactly uh, trespassing exactly. Exactly how? I wonder. Um, yeah, let's see if they they get back on that okay. one there. Um, Eric says Route sixty six from Chicago to Texas. Let's go. <laughs> yes, we've talked about that. That's Eric Bouvet, right? Yeah. Nice. Oh wait, somebody was. What was the question? Oh, um, right. I, I excuse myself. That was Alan's uh, question from Georgia to New Mexico. Um, the highway 82 Google map says it's about 82 or 28 hours. And, uh, he's just curious, like from your experiences with road trips and photography, uh, photographing them, um, how much time should he allot for like driving and documenting? What's the mileage? Uh, 28 hours. Oh, it's 28 hours. Uh, I would probably say at least a week. Is that a long time? That's, I mean, I tend to stop a lot, you know, and then you have to pee and you have to get gas and you get hungry. So you get food and you're stopping with just that, that sh sheer excitement of I've never been here before. What's this town like and roaming around and shooting photos and then you need to eat again. And I tend to kind of take my time and it depends on if you have to be somewhere. If you don't take all the time in the world. But I would do that in a week, probably. All right. Um, <clears throat> Aaron's talking about the trip uh, there, still saying, Eric, let's take the Jaggins. We'll pick up Ramo. Cue the Benny Hill music as Jay drove off. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That'd be pretty funny. Um, what else? What other comments we got here? Uh, Jason Moore asks, is the wider focal lengths from other photographers you enjoy or skateboarding or both? That's a really good question. Uh, I can't answer that. That's too good of a question. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. One of the the first cameras I got was a Mamiya RZ67. Um, back when they were really expensive, before you you could buy them for nothing like you can now. You should have waited. Um, I had a few different lenses, and I, I just remember liking the wider one a little bit. Um, and then when I started shooting the 8x10 Polaroid films, 
the lens that came on the old eight by ten camera that I that I bought uh, was a two ten millimeter uh, wall and sack wide field lens, and so for eight by ten that was like twenty. That would probably be about twenty four, twenty six, somewhere around that, and I really liked that a lot. And then I had seen Wessel's work for the first time in two thousand seven, and I liked that, you know. Um, yeah, I just I like a little bit wider. Yeah, so I think from the beginning I just felt like a little bit more room felt appropriate. I think for me, I feel that I've been shooting fifty mil a lot, and sometimes it'd be nice to just have like a tiny little bit more room there. Yeah, so thirty five mil that. on thirty five is awesome. I'll have to see if I could track one of those down from a night. Yeah. Um, Tim says, any kind of trespassing, if you had to slip through a fence quick to snap a shot, would you, or would you let that one go and just be? Like of a building or somebody's, like, I, I wouldn't uh, sneak through somebody's fence, maybe, if they were like, in, like it was a home that people were living in, you know, and they were inside eating dinner. Yeah, uh, I've never needed to shoot anything like that. But no, I, I'm, I, yeah, I don't think there's any harm in, uh, uh, if you're not disturbing anyone, you know. If you know, uh, I mean, again, a lot of this stuff I'm seeing is like uh, very, very rural and empty, and there's not really a lot of trespassing, you know, but. I think if it's if it's harmless and there's nobody around, uh, around and you're not damaging property or anything, hopping through a, a hole in a fence or something to get a photo, I, I, I think that's probably okay. I, I remember your story of like the solitary person in a plain view, that, that guy that had that janky house that was just like sitting there reading his book on his porch and yeah. you like, you know, stopped to set up and he just kind of waved at you and you waved back at him and yeah um, that was like a story that stuck out to me on, on <laughs> i was across view. the street with my four by five camera and he was in a chair near his front door reading a book and he looked up at me and i said i'm just taking a photo yeah and he goes and then he just went back to reading his book and i got the the one exposure and packed up the tripod and put it in the trunk and closed the trunk and drove off and he never looked up from his book again I was in Paris, Texas. I always wanted to check that out. Um, Brian Giesbrecht asks, uh, any interesting stories behind any specific image in the new book? In the new book? Uh, That's a good question. Sorry for the the pause there. Hmm. Gosh, that's a good, there's a lot of good questions here tonight. Um, I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. All right, we'll table that one and we'll get back to that. <laughs> um, DS Manning asks you, when is the Stereo Ilford collab he suggested in Boston going to launch? God, I'm so glad I'm being reminded of that. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, hit up Mike. I'm sure he'd be down with that. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that guy. I got to talk to him soon. And Like a Store Boston says hi. Hey, Alan. Uh, what else? 
else we got here? And where is it? Brian Brooks says he's thankful he only has two kids. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's, it's maddening at times, but yeah, we've five kids from, from a little one up to the big one who got his license last year and he's driving. It's so crazy. That's going to be wild, but it's good. Like there's a lot of years, like, you know, there's good cushion between each, you know, and they all really kind of tend to each other. It's really nice. It helps. It helps us out, you know, that they kind of watch each other and stuff. When they're, when they're not like hurting each other, and... as kids do. As um, kids do. Matt waves at you. Matt from Kodak waves, and he says, "Looking good." Ah, Matt, what's up? Yeah, that guy's great. It was. Yeah. It was. Cool. I love going to Rochester, dude. So I, I did that uh, the factory tour last December. Um, I did it too, and you had to put the whole suit on and everything. Yeah, that was so wild. And like the thing that blew my mind the most was when Matt was like, "You're inside of a machine right now." You're like, it's "No, crazy. I'm in a building." He's like, "No, this is a machine." And like, yeah. I'm still wrapping my mind around that. And that was like almost two years ago. It's crazy, man. It was trippy to see Rochester and just what once was. You know, just all the shut down industrial buildings that used to produce so much stuff. Yeah. All around the town, you know. It was really uh beautiful. There was a kind of melancholy about Rochester that I that I really liked. I mean, remember at one point I think Kodak had I don't countless thousands of employees. I mean, Rochester had so much big business, you know. Yeah. It's weird it's just weird how that happens where things just shut down and time goes on and things just sort of get left behind and become reminders, you know? Yeah, it, it is really interesting. Um, I definitely would like to spend more time in, in Rochester when we're able to travel again because it, yeah. it was a cool place to explore. Like the Eastman house was really cool to yeah. visit and check out. And yeah. um, it was, it was like the history there was really fascinating and, it's nice that Kodak is making uh, a, a comeback of, of sorts, and like they haven't completely died off, which you know is, is yeah. great for all of us that love shooting film. Um, Michael Champlin has a question: What's inspired you lately? Good question. Uh, my one of the things probably uh, it's very very important is my uh, eight-year-old son who was not really feeling the skateboarding thing and I never push anything on the kids you know yeah. but you certainly hope like I really hope he gets into skateboarding because uh, our eldest who's 17 he skates every day for Christmas I got uh, them a quarter pipe oh shit in the backyard and my eight-year-old Sonny he's uh now he's totally hooked on skateboarding and he skates every day and like I'm, that's really been really inspiring you know and now he's starting to say dad what was the first trick you did and just that kind of you know it's 
it's that's been really inspiring and also seeing my eldest son progress every day it's just amazing to see that and uh i hadn't you know skated in a while because i've just been this whole year has just been making the books and but i put together a new board uh actually just today oh shit new setup so i'm gonna i'm gonna start rolling around again uh, now that we have the, the ramp in the backyard I, I saw the uh the post on your son's grams of you cruising through the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was just that was just last night yeah yeah that was hilarious sometimes that's all it takes is like stepping on a board again and going oh yeah this is this feels good i need this more in my life you know and then today i, I set up a new board you know yeah, I uh, I'm really tempted to to move back to the West Coast um, right now. I, I miss my family and stuff there, and uh, my little brother, um, he's got two awesome kids. I love the heck out of them, Colby and Noah, and they're uh, five and seven, and they just started skateboarding this summer or last summer, like through through COVID, and. Um, it's been hilarious because the two of them are so competitive like they're just insanely competitive with each other and she's been doing um martial arts and just like kicking ass at it and he's jealous because like he's too little for it yet um yeah. so when they started skateboarding he's beating the shit out of her on skateboarding because he's just like this tiny little dynamo that can just like haul ass everywhere and even when he falls he doesn't really hurt himself he just picks himself up and like takes off again and uh, they keep bugging me, like, Uncle Merlin, like, come skateboard with us. And I'm like, I, I wish, but I'm, like, on the other side of the country. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. I mean, it, giving my the greatest gift I've ever been given was the, the first skateboard I, I ever got uh, when I was seven years old. Yeah. And uh, my brother, who's two years older than me, he got one as well. Just the little plastic banana boards from, I think, uh, Fedco or Kmart or something. This would have been in the seventies in Orange County. And that was just the coolest thing ever. And then we also BMX raced a lot, which was really popular in the seventies, like, you know, California wet people in on the West Coast in the seventies, people were, you know, the dads were building hot rods in the garage and the kids were skateboarding and and BMX racing and all that that kind of stuff. Um yeah, and then and, and then I got into skating more seriously when I was about 13 and then even more seriously when I was about 15 yeah. but that seed was planted when my mom got me that skateboard when I was seven years old do you ever get to skate the skate ranch um did I ever yeah once or twice when I was a teenager I went there and nice. Tony Hawk was there one one time so Tony Hawk at that time when I went there would have probably been about 17 i would have been about 15. wow we were and he had his uh he had his boom box and he was blasting oingo boingo <laughs> like all the 80s tunes you know that would have been fitting i guess to to play at that time and just watching tony hawk and you know that would have been something yeah. else to see back then yeah do you just absolutely ruling that skate park did you see grant back then I don't know if we saw Grant back then, uh, but I think seeing Tony Hawk would, would have been my first like star skateboarder sighting, you know? Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. Because at that point, we would have seen the first Powell video, 
the Bones Brigade video show. Would there have been a second one out? I don't know, but we definitely knew who Tony Hawk was. And he was there skating with all his 80s pink clothing on. And, <laughs> and, 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 I say yellow clothing on, and his bleached bangs and the whole thing, you know. 